Girl, so I just made it back from San Francisco and can I say the West Coast was good to me? It was so good to me. And when I tell you that you thought we loved Las Vegas time because we could drink. I mean, we could drink any time of the day. I mean, just to be on Vegas time, but to be on West Coast time. I remember telling you while I was out there, like I just felt like I could relish my time because it seemed to go by so slow, but slow in a good way to where I could literally live in the moment. Um, Probably one of the most affirming trips of my life, but it was so good to be back in San Francisco. Um, I hadn't been there in 26 years. And so I was, I flew out of San Francisco after living with my sister in Vacaville, California. I lived with her because I left home at 16. Mm -hmm. And so I lived with her um, out there for a year and I was sent back to go live with my parents, um, which was one of the reasons why I left home. And so when I left San Francisco, went back home to Picayune, Mississippi and I was out of the house in less than a month. And so just kind of bounced around and lived like an unhoused teenager until I got to USM, which is the University of Southern Mississippi. So from the age of 17 to 19. Yeah, because, yeah, nope, I was 20. Yeah, I got there in 1999. That's when I transferred from junior college to the University of Southern Mississippi where I met you guys and met Sabrina, who is one of your best friends. And that's how I remember my last experience in San Francisco. So to come back as a grown woman and as a fellow for the peace studio and to now work as a journalist and an educator and now as a peace builder, mm-hmm. like what a turnaround. Cause my story could have been so, right, oh my God, right? my life could have been so differently or could have been so different. And to go to a place like USM and to meet somebody like Verita Delane, who we're talking to, mm-hmm. uh, changed the trajectory of my life because my story could have been so different. So that was San Francisco in a nutshell. Um, so much will probably come out over time because I'm still processing it. Mm-hmm. But the food, because you know I travel and I'm always looking for food. I was going to say, how was the food out there? How was the seafood? Did you have the seafood? I have? didn't have a chance to do any seafood because we worked. We were working and collaborating. And by the time we got back to the hotel, it was just like, I'm tired. I got to lay down. I got to pull myself together because we were right back at it the next day but met some amazing people from all over the world that are committed to this work of, you know, doing transformative work and creating transformative narratives in the communities that we live and want to build up. Now for our listeners, Melanie's a part of a fellowship. So she's going to be do, she's going to be crafting some stories and doing some research in the upcoming months that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. It'll, it'll come out in fits and starts, but the food, I feel like I got to go back out there just for the food and just the social. Because even like the black folks that I was there with, we were like, where the rest of the black people in San Francisco? And I was like, they in <laughs> Oakland. They in Oakland. <laughs> That's where they're at. So San Francisco, I will be back, but I will definitely get across that bridge to go see my folks in Oakland because I got some kin folks and some social media followers that I would love to see. But mm-hmm. that seems to be where the black folks is at. But to walk outside of the building 
where we were working, um, which was the Japanese museum um, that basically uh, archived the history of the concentration camps of oh Japanese goodness. immigrants. So we were working in a building because our facilitator, the awesome Kath Golden, who is an educator in the New York area, um, just amazing, but she is of Japanese descent and she is the granddaughter of a woman who lived in those concentration camps in Arkansas. There were a number of them. So to be in Iranian Arkansas. Girl, there was a map in the museum that just showed where all of these concentration camps, this is the fact that this country had concentration camps. Mm. Um, and to look at what they did to um Asian um refugees and immigrants in this country is just like it's maddening to look okay. at the history of colonialism and imperialism and oppression and oppression okay. that this nation <laughs> has in its history and wants to deny. Right. Um, so we were there, but we could walk right out and see the San Francisco bridge right there. We were at the Presidio and look across the bay and see Alcatraz um, and walk up the hill and go to the Walt Disney Museum and go look at the food trucks. But that was the military base that was adjacent to one of the concentration camps there in San Francisco. So it was intense, right? So that's why I was like, I got to go back <laughs> and do another trip just for the food, because that was the space that we were in to process the work of trying to do peace building and transformative narratives. So when I say it was emotional sometimes, mm -hmm. um, it was passionately collaborative at times when it was affirming and just so full of love. Shout out to all of my fellows. I miss y'all. I love that we're connected in WhatsApp. I know you're listening. I can't wait to get my fellows on, on the phone with friends because we support one another. But I think the Black women that are a part of this fellowship are some of the most amazing Black women I have ever met. And honestly, the men and women of all ethnic backgrounds from all parts of the world that are part of this fellowship, I got to find a way to work them in just amazing people that I got to know over a week and I just feel like mm -hmm. they're in my heart they're absolutely in my heart and I love them and I just adore them and just literally a trip that changed my life and I am so grateful and looking forward to the work that I will be doing as a fellow as the first class of fellows with the peace studio but how did I get here right you know, 26 years later, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. And I don't think I could have got here if it wasn't for the kindness of strangers and accidental mentors. Mm -hmm. Because when you're going through life, you you never like walk up to somebody. Maybe this is just my experience, but I've never walked up to someone in my teen years or in my 20s or even in my 30s and just like, can you be my mentor? It was just like, you go to school, get a job and go. That's mm -hmm. all I was ever really told. So to yeah. feel like I had to go and find a mentor, I just never felt like I had that narrative imparted in my life. So I had these accidental mentors, people that inspired me along mm -hmm. this trajectory. Just like I said, my, my story could have turned out really differently, really differently. I think that's something that if, your students are listening. If you have a, well, some of your students tune in when you were given the first part of your story there, I was thinking, do they not realize how much Miss um, Gaines has 
they have in common with Miss Gaines. Miss Gaines understands their story. Because I think sometimes young people are like, well, you know, you don't know what it's like to go to bed hungry or to have some difficulties at home or to have your parents fighting or to have one parent or to have this dissonance like with your siblings or to not feel safe or to leave home young or just any of the things that each of them might be going through. And when we talk about what's going on in the neighborhood around the school, and we talk about what's going on in the city of Memphis, I can hear that passion pouring out of you about they deserve better. Yeah. You know, these neighborhoods should be clean. It should be safe. They shouldn't yeah. have to deal with this. It shouldn't have to have this happening to them. And I just wonder, you know, that's one thing that I would hope for them. One of the many things is I would hope for them to hear this about you and say, she does understand. She's not coming here with this education talking down to us, not understanding the reality of what we've gone through. And if she can go through things and I can see her um, thriving and being successful and doing these things in her life, then I have options for mine. Yeah. And so I really want them to take that away too and to, to know because, and I do believe many of them know that, that, um, that you care, that you love them because they can genuinely pick up on who's here at this school, at this institution who really cares about me. Yeah. They're not here to collect a check. They're here to make a difference. They really, even, really even though I tell them when they in there cutting up <laughs> and, and cussing and not doing what they supposed to do. And they think they're going to go off on me. And I tell them, I said, look, I get to do this with a paycheck. You doing this for free. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's one of my famous lines. I got a few famous lines. Don't be late, be great. You know, like they'll see me in the hallway. But one of mine is, I don't know why you think you're going off on so all this back and forth. I'm getting paid for this, baby. You doing this for free. Mm -hmm. And that stops them every time. You are giving up unnecessary energy for free. So at least get paid for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, girl, I hope some of which, when I tell you, we was on the phone today for a very long time because they know they got on my nerves. But <laughs> if I was not on that phone with you and you heard me fussing, I ain't going to tell the people what all I said today, but God knows I fussed today. I called my mom after work and I told her how my day was. And I said, I just been fussing at folks' children all day long. She said, you got to go get you something to drink because I know your mouth dry. <laughs> And I have a Chick-fil-A unsweet tea sitting right in front of me. I said, give me some Splenda so I can sweeten up my tea. So I had to go get me a tea after work because Lord knows I have fussed at children all day. You should have saw my big finale because I tell them it, another one of my famous lines. Okay, you want to check? I check kids back. <laughs> and if anybody know about Memphis, we check for real. I ain't even from here, but I have definitely picked up on the check-in culture. I remember when I worked at another school, another marginalized school here in Memphis, in South Memphis. And it's one of the poorest zip codes in the nation. And I remember probably my first year and I just saw a check-in session between kids. I'll never forget it. And this kid told another kid, shut up with your garbage shoe, dumpster shoe ass nigga. <laughs> what? Garbage shoe, dumpster yeah. shoe ass nigga. No, he had nothing else to say. And I was like, that's checking. 
<laughs> so kids, if you're listening, I learned from the best in South Memphis. Shout out to all my hood babies that I taught and loved on in South Memphis. Love y'all. So we were at USM together and mm -hmm. just thinking about our trajectories in life, like going back to San Francisco and kind of being reminded of that. What was what was your trajectory when it came to accidental mentors or even just mentorship? I mean, just accidental mentors and mentorship for me. Um, I was always like a social person to a certain extent. I was always. Working oh, really? Yes. Um, <laughs> I had like an early work study job working at the front desk. I was very much a by the rules person. And I do not apologize to anybody who I made sign into Van Hall, which is probably why I wasn't there beyond a few weeks. <laughs> but <laughs> right. once I found my, my area, I actually ended up over in the university counseling center. We talked about, you know, that's yeah. another area we came across intersected there. And, um, Oh, Lord, I cannot remember this woman's name right now. Hold on. It's it's almost coming to me. But she was like the secretary in that office. And actually, I'm going to remember her name later. I feel bad that I don't right now. And it's really on the very forefront of my mind. But she had a beautiful singing voice, still does. But um, ended up being able to observe the counselors that were working there. And one particular person I know I told you about was Miss Toni Anderson, who... Um, who was a full-time counselor in that, that office. And I believe we had some um, another young lady that came in that was working on her PhD, and she had actually put together a, a, a group for women of color and actually met someone else. I think I met Yumika through that group. And it was just all these different, you know, black girls on campus coming together to have like a support group and just talking to each other. And I got to see Tony in action and that gave me another firsthand look at professionalism of black women. Miss Heron. Miss Heron was the lady that was the secretary there in the office. Um, just seeing both of them, because I did not come from that background. I had an idea of what people did. You know, I had black female teachers before, but being in an office environment on this level, I got to learn things from them about how you carry yourself, how you show up, being professional. And later on for me, when I found myself back working at Southern Miss and I was in another office and I was dealing with some difficulties, um, I think at that time I was the only black female in that position as a career counselor because there's one other lady in a different capacity. I was able to reach back out and be mentored by Tony on how to navigate those difficult situations in an office environment. You know, how when what you're saying is being taken all kinds of wrong ways because simply because it's coming out of a black mouth, you know, and just kind of learning. I hate to say how to play the game, but being able to come in and play those politics and then bringing in um, gender dynamics with that as well. Um, you know, having a, and I'm, I'm going to say it because he, he, I doubt he'll even ever listen to the show, but having <laughs> a white male supervisor who tried to pit me and my black male supervisor against each other. And I showed up and fully supported my black male supervisor and was like, I've got his back and I wasn't about to let this person do that. Mm -hmm. So shout out to Mr. Lumsey, still one of the best people out there. I loved working for you. Mm -hmm. And they just, for me, it wasn't even anything that I had to come in and ask. I just watched. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, if we want to talk about other mentors, I mean, I've had other mentors, even Dr. Austin, you know, there Dr. were Dr. Curtis, Austin. Dr. Curtis. Austin, oh, yeah there. yeah. there were people that just had such a cool vibe and an open yeah. door policy that yeah. even if you just had a question, you can come in and pick their brain. And yeah. I appreciated that because for me, even though I had gone off to like this math and science school and, you know, I had gotten here to college, I didn't have, I hadn't met black professors before. Mm, I didn't right. know what this was and what black people did on a college campus. So I was so grateful to be able to meet all these different people. And Dr. Andrea Wesley, um, for me, I got to see different sides of her because being friends with one of her daughters, Tracy. Right. Um, so I got to, you know, I could see her um, in her environment as a wife and a mother of a large mm. family. They were like the Huxtables to me too. You know, I know, right? Beautiful black couple, both of them with advanced degrees and five mm -hmm. children. And they're just, you know, um, exhibiting all, exuding all of this black excellence and then seeing yeah. her in the classroom. Um, to me, that was one of those things where I just observed people and I had access to be able to talk to them and find out who they really were and to see them as real people yeah. and to to realize that sometimes there's these stereotypes out there about black people when they get some education and they get accomplished and start doing things that they're disconnected. And that's not mm. true of everybody. Yeah. You know, these men and women are very connected to their community. They're connected to their families and their faith. And we're always there and transparent um, <laughs> with their students. When you were saying how, how y'all be checking students, Dr. Austin be checking folks. Uh, but, it was, <laughs> but it was a great experience. And so, you know, we saw them. We saw Andre. We oh, saw uh, yeah, Andre Heath. Heath. We saw him. Um, uh, Holloway. You Eddie know what I'm Dr. Eddie Holloway. Um, uh, uh, Mike Mitchell. Just yeah, all Mitchell. of this excellence. You know, all these people that just influenced us in so many ways and just showed us. And now looking at our, ourselves and our peers, it was. It was beautiful. It just, um, I know in our interview with Ms. Ryda, I'm excited about talking about the influence there on campus. And it really makes me think about, in my role sometimes, I'll say, oh, I was just a, a career counselor mm. or I'm just an academic advisor or just a pre-med advisor or whatever. But then I really think about the students that have come through there. Yeah. And yeah. maybe I was the only like, black woman in that role that they saw and they've got more mm. diversity on my campus yeah. but did I make an impact for all of my students and now I really do feel like I have been and so I feel you know in the words of um was it Eddie Kane I feel like going on <laughs> I love it I feel like going on you know yeah. man and can we also uh, send love and a shout out to all of the Black service workers at USM yes. who maybe gave us an extra portion of food or gave us a word of encouragement or watched us as we were going along to our uh, classes and, 
you know, and to know that we also served in the community there in Hattiesburg, where sometimes we saw some of those workers. Um, so not only did they see us going to classes, but they also saw us come into their communities and tutor children and do uh, community cleanups and just all the wonderful things that kept us rooted and connected to the Black folks there in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Um, I just remember the cafeteria workers there at the Commons who took care of us. It's nothing like being like sugar or... Yeah, so it's just like, there's nothing like being around Black folks that are educated and those that serve you as well. And whether you have an advanced degree or no degree, no degree. I think we were surrounded by Black people that were in service to us because they saw great capacity and promise to us. And we turned right around with the skills and knowledge that we learned from folks like Verita Delane and turn right back around and put it back into the communities where those folks came from. So I want to send some love and some shout outs um, to those folks because there was nothing like USM. And I hope that when you listen to this interview with the Mrs. Verita Delane, um, you can think about your accidental mentors and the people that possibly changed the trajectory of your life. I hope you love Ms. Verita just as much as we do. Here we go. Miss Verita, it yeah. has been 20 years since the last time I saw you. Oh my God. <laughs> Probably 21, because I left in, well, I left in 2003 that oh. summer, but I probably didn't see you probably after I graduated in December 2002 and then went straight to work and then went into grad school. Ms. Verita, yes, i give you your flowers. I have to, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to do this without crying. I have been wanting to tell you this for 20 years. It's because of you that I was able to go to grad school and realize so much about myself intellectually and what I can do when I live my life in service to my people. I remember coming to your office frantic. I don't know if you remember this. <clears throat> and I had a hold on my account. Yeah. And I didn't get into law school. I was trying to apply to Ole Miss and I didn't get in. And so my backup plan was, I guess I'll go to grad school for English. Mm -hmm. And I was applying to the University of Memphis and I had a hold and I didn't have any extra money. I didn't have family support. And I came straight to your office and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And this is what's happening. And I just, I just felt like I just needed you to just hear me. You were always, you had an open door policy. And even if it wasn't something you could solve, it was just like the way you would talk to us would just remind us that everything would be okay. And you had a way about sitting in your desk. You'd have, sometimes you have your jacket on, <laughs> sometimes you wouldn't, and you'd be in, in there eating yeah. hot sauce on your desk. And I just remember you were like, hold on, baby. And you picked up your office phone, tapped some numbers and called somebody over in Kennard, Washington. Hey, this is right. Hey girl, how you doing? 
I got this baby sitting right here and you need to do that thing that you do when we got these babies that's trying to go off and do something. I need you to take care of it for me. Oh, I got you, girl. I just need you to take care of it for me. Yeah. Click. And you were like, go on over there and go get your transcript. And I'm going to need you to go to apply to grad school and go do what you got to do. Yeah. End of story. <laughs> and I just want to thank you so much for what you did. Because when I look at where my life is and for people like you at Southern Miss that were there for many of us who were first generation college students coming from our small towns and not really having a sense about the world. And you were the first professional black woman I had ever seen in my life. Yes, very first for me. <laughs> first. And you were just, I don't even, hopefully we can find the words to describe what you meant to us, but I have never forgotten you. I have never forgotten what you did for me. And I hope that others are able to give you your flowers because you were absolutely amazing to meet and to have that type of support. I feel like it created a benchmark for how people should support you. Yeah. And I just want to thank you so much for that, Ms. Frida. Well, yes. I, I, I want to say to you first, there are some things that are ordained by God. And my job at Southern Miss was ordained. It was not by accident yeah. that I came to Southern Miss. I don't know if I've ever told you my story. You have but, not. Well, my mother foresaw me coming to Southern Miss before I got there. She called me up one day and she said to me, um, God is going to change your life, but your husband won't be included. And of course, it scared me to death because I'm like, what do you mean my husband won't be included? But if you guys remember, the whole time I was at Southern, my husband mm -hmm. was in Alabama. Right. Yeah. right. Okay, so for 16 years, I was at Southern Miss and he was in Alabama. So he wasn't included, but he was included. But it was God's plan that I come to Southern. And I tell people all the time, and I've told people forever that, I wasn't just sent there because of the job, but I was sent there to do a job. And my job was to help students that were in need. And that was my main focus. That was my total goal. And that was what I tried every day I woke up. I woke up with that song in my heart of what I could do to help make somebody's day better and to help a student who was struggling along the way. And Melody, you, you don't believe your story. I've heard so many other times from many other students, but I'm going to tell you something. I can't remember all of them because when I did it, I did it at that moment because you needed it at that moment. And, and I really believe you do what you do because you don't supposed to try to do it for accolades. You don't try to do it because 
you want somebody to pay you back. You don't try to do it because you want somebody to, you know what I'm saying, to give you props for it. You do it because you're in a position to do it. You do it because you need to do it. You do it because God put you in a position to do it. And that's why I did it. So I'm just so happy that I was there to do it for you and that you have been successful because of that one little phone call that I was able to make. And y'all don't know how it, it thrills my heart to see you all successful. That's my pay, just to be able to see you all do what you do. That's my pay. That's, those are my flowers. And I have one more thing I need to say about that. I firmly believe that when people are put in positions, you should use that position to enhance other women like you all. That, and I've always had the, the belief that I wanted you all to go further than I did. I didn't want you to do what I did. I wanted you to go higher than I did. So everything that I put in you was to help you to go higher. If I was the assistant vice president, my goal was to make you ready to be a president or a vice president. You see what I'm saying? Right, right. So, you know, that's that's that was always my goal with you guys. You know, some people don't want you to do better. I always wanted you guys to excel. Right. So and that I, was what I tried to instill in you. And I've always felt that I just, me and Natalie have talked about this interview oh, <laughs> up until the yes. minute. Mm -hmm. And I just remember, you know, being involved in the NAACP and we were always in y'all's offices, whether it was between Mike Mitchell or your office. I or, can still picture um, your office. I can see it on that. <laughs> no, <Like>, Dr. Eddie <laughs> Holloway. It was almost like y'all were the trifecta for leadership for us. It was just such a great template. You know, when I think about the people that pledged and looked to you all for mentorship and just really trying to understand what leadership was supposed to be about I just I just remember so many different episodes where we had to come there and just get advice or you know just even hearing you trying to get us to NAACP conferences like I'm gonna go in here to this meeting and I'm gonna get y'all this money because I need y'all to go to this conference and represent USM. You know, it was yes. just like have, That's yeah, right. and to have an advocate for what we were trying to do, it was just nothing like I thought it was going to be. And many days, and Natalie can I, I'll just hand it over to Natalie, but many days I really thought I was going to an HBCU. Because <laughs> most of us stayed on campus yeah, and many of us ate on campus in the commons and we were in y'all's offices and we did really so did. much and it just felt like we were at an HBCU with that wonderful, I just, I don't, Natalie just, I, I, I don't have the words, it's, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm filled, I'm just overwhelmed with just emotion right now. I just remember first meeting Miss Delane. I met you for the first time when I had just graduated high school and I came over for like, it was like a, a week, I think it was a week before we started our freshman year. And, um, whoo, going to get me to crying already. <laughs> I we are so sorry to start. I mean, I've got lifelong friends that I met that week. You know, I met Sabrina, I met Tracy, 
you know, um, I met Shakita. I just saw them all recently. It was like a whole tribe of people. Miss, oh Lord, there were so many people. Um, the guys, you know, Anthony, a couple of other folks, like I can't even name all of them. We all met that summer and we've all kept in contact. And I remember being in that student success class that you were teaching, Lord Carlos. Lord, it was <laughs> oh, it was it was something else. But I did a lot of growing up that year, a lot of maturing that I had to do. And I just remember seeing you as that example on campus of how a black woman could carry herself and knowing like in hindsight, you know, Mr. Lane probably had to deal with some folks that didn't have any sense. I still remember some of the stories you've told us. And all I'm going to say is I remember you that a parent baked a cake for you and was surprised to see a beautiful black woman when she walked in the office mm -hmm. to give it to you for helping her daughter and her roommate situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, all this grace, all this class, all this poise, but she didn't, it didn't, she didn't forget who she was. She was still a black woman. She was still connected to her community. And that really stood out to me of an example of how I could be in a professional world. And I just, I remember for me, the, the big group for me at, at Southern Miss was you, Miss Elaine, um, Dr. Andrea Wesley, and Miss Tony Anderson. Those, I'm, man, saved my life. You know, I know you have your, your story, Melanie, about leaving and going to grad school. I had a health crisis, a personal crisis in the middle of undergrad and talked to Dr. Wesley and she relayed me right on over to Miss Delane. I didn't even know what an emergency withdrawal was. And it's so funny now because I'm in higher ed and one of the things that I feel like I'm called to that I notice the most is when students are in distress. Yeah. That's my big area. So they come in for one thing and then I start getting a little more intrusive and find out what's going on in their lives. And I love being able to get students referred to different resources because right. I don't want them to drop out. I don't want them to give up. You know, I've had students who have, who have died by their own hands and by tragedy and by illness. And that stays with you. And so everyone that comes through there, I think about the people who were an example for me. And I think, okay, how would she have done this? How would Miss Vrida do this? You know, you know, what kind of impact can I make? And I feel like in the roles that Melanie and I have now working with young people in the community, we are now to them what you have been to us. And I appreciate that word because I've been in higher ed a long time. And sometimes I just, I feel like I just can't do anymore. And I have to remember what I'm there for, who I'm there to help. And so yeah. I, I love you and I appreciate that example. And I know it couldn't have been easy because I know we all got on your nerves at some point. <laughs> I know we did. Because I feel like I was in so many organizations and things that you were tied to from, I think we sponsored a girl who went on to win a pageant and actually went on to Miss Mississippi, you know, to, you know, um, I can't even remember the names of some of the stuff we did, but we were always involved in our campus community and community. She activities. advocated for the minority affairs position that we co-chaired. Oh, yeah. Uh, SGA. Mm -hmm. We were the first two for minority affairs. Trailblazer. So 
Yeah, right. But you put us in position for that. And that was what, 2001, when, you know, we having affirmative old. action conversations and understanding what it meant to have minority affairs at a PWI. That was yes. something that you advocated for and entrusted us to lead. So here we go, Miss Verita. We had to give you your flowers and a lot of tears. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, but like I said, you all do me proud because to look at what you guys are doing now, and I am sure that your jobs now are a lot harder than mine was even then because we have moved to a whole different lifestyle now than we were even then, and so I hope that you all learned some things just to prepare you for what you're dealing with now. Yeah. You know, it's like Natalie said, I'm sure there were days you were like, I can't do this another day. But you know that there's somebody who needs you to show up the next day. Yeah. yeah. We definitely had that conversation today at lunch. <laughs> yes. right. Literally those same words. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I need you the next day. Yeah. Well, I see your husband. We'll wave to him. He's back there in the back. <laughs> we always heard tell of him. Sometimes we'd be in your office and you'd be talking with him. So yeah, I really great. think he existed. I know you did. <laughs> well, we, we knew he existed because sometimes we would see him at home. And that was another thing to have the whole family and to be able to share our college experience with your children. Yeah, you know, there, you know, that was just, it was like y'all were the higher ed Huxtables. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like literally, and y'all stayed like in that house right off campus and the alpha house was right there. So it was just like, all these things were just wrapped up and we just kind of, it was almost like we were a part of your family, but we were able yeah. to witness your family life from a distance. Yeah. And it was just really cool to see like, oh, look at these black kids. Let's get to know them. And they your were just- kids are like really cool people too. Yeah, like, they were like such a different experience. Human beings. Yeah, because uh, Chazra, I think, was in the class with Natalie. She started with you, Natalie. I feel yeah. like she was, and I see her all the time. Like at one point, I was like, she's already like doing the adult stuff. She was already running the bookstore on campus. <laughs> I know, but she she's literally your age. She and she and uh, Tracy. She's twenty eight as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> old lady. And, and and glowing. I, I tell her yes. often, like she has evolved as a woman. And it's so great. Like when I look at pictures from my 20s when I was at USM and to look at where we are now, like I look, <laughs> I have really come a long way. And it's just like to even watch how all of us have grown up. I feel like we are finally coming into our womanhood in our 40s. Yes. Yes. And I see that in Chesra. And I tell her that, like, girl. I'm glowing. So, yeah, amazing. So, let's dive into these questions we okay, have for you. Sure. So, if you don't know, on the phone with friends is a podcast we started to basically discuss and witness Black women's friendships. And so, this is an episode all about the women who have mentored us that have made us better women. Okay. And so, a lot of the questions we have definitely catered to you. And it's really to just build up a narrative around Black women so that way we're not falling into this media landscape that our lives are miserable and we're negative and we're angry. We can be all of those things, but we're also very supportive and loving when we're in community together. So right. the questions that we're going to talk about tonight are all focused on that. And I'll start with the first one. Who are you 
where are you from and what's the best way to describe the women or people in your family that inspired who you are? Okay. <laughs> I am Brighta Harrison Delane. I am from a small town in Alabama, Choctaw County, Alabama. I am going to say the person who probably inspired me the most, it, it could be a conglomerate. Mm -hmm. The first person I'm going to have to say would be my mother. And, and, and I'm going to say she was not college educated, but she was an inspiration because she was going to make darn sure I was. So, but my dad was college educated, actually had a master's degree and I was toward a PhD and spoke three languages. But my mother was the home mother, but she made sure that me and my sister had college degrees. So I would have to say that she was probably the most inspirational woman in my life. But my father had a sister who was also very inspirational to me, who was a college educator. Um, and um, taught school and was very, very inspirational in my life. What was unique about them that inspired you? What specifically? I'm going to say about my mother was her tenacity. She was always one that was straightforward. She didn't cut corners when it came to telling you the truth about what she wanted you to know. Um, she was um, very clear, but young, like she had me when she was 16 years old. So she was only 16 years older than me. Um, so we were really like sisters, but I knew where that line was drawn. Mm. But she was always very, um, I'm going to say encouraging, very encouraging. Um, but also she was the one that was going to kind of pull me to the side when she knew I needed to be pulled to the side and talk to me and tell me if, if I was getting off track or if she wasn't. I mean, she could kind of read me when I, when I didn't know she could read me. She could look at me and know if I was telling the truth or not. So, you know, that was, that was one thing for sure. My dad's sister that I'm talking about was the one that was always going to make sure that I was involved in things, that took me places, that kept me involved in academic stuff as well as church stuff, you know, because you got to think about my age group. We, we kind of didn't have a lot of the opportunities that you guys had growing up so we were kind of limited so our church really served as our kind of um lead place where you learned a lot you know where yeah. you got involved a lot so my aunt was very instrumental in that she would take me to church conferences it, out of state to different places you know to make sure that and, and she made sure that I learned to speak and put me up in front of the church to do speeches and that kind of thing. So uh, I would say that she was very instrumental in that part of my confidence building. Yeah. If that makes sense. I could definitely relate to that. On a previous episode, we talked about our church experiences and how that helped us connect with other friends and learn how to speak and all of that. So That's right. yeah, definitely That's right. experienced that. 
yeah. you want to take that next question and ask it just the way it's written. Uh, before I go into this next question, because I feel like I got to follow this up with the question I'm about to ask. Um, you mentioned something earlier about your mom telling you about the divinity in you um, in the road that got you to where you are. Was Did you experience that a lot with her, that she was very intuitive? And do you have some of that? I have a lot of it. Mm -hmm. A lot. I'd like uh, to add that Miss Delane is a Gemini, so I am <laughs> there. And guess what? So was my mom. And me and my mom are both Gemini. Okay, okay. And a lot okay. of my friends are Gemini. Because we have those moments, <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah, hmm. yeah. And my mother's birthday and my birthday are three days apart. Mm. There you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. But I, I would tell you that she was probably my absolute best friend. And, and that's so neat because to have that relationship with your mother, who is someone you can trust, who is someone you know that's got your best interest at heart and you're comfortable enough to talk with her about anything mm -hmm. um, was a really good opportunity for growing up. Mm. And, and that was the kind of mom she was. But I respected her so much because she, she deserved so much respect just because of the kind of person she was, the way she lived her life. Um, and it was, it was, it was really neat. So, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask this question. <laughs> this is something we both came up with. So I'm going to say it the way it is. Miss yes, Ryder Delane. Yes, ma'am. When did you know that you were the ship? <clears throat> Girl, <laughs> when I was five years old. <laughs> I told you. I told you she would answer the question. <laughs> when she I was would keep a, it real with us. When I was a little girl, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be straight up with you. You know, some people live their whole life and not know that they have a calling in their life. I knew as a child, I had something special that I was supposed to do. I didn't know exactly what it was but I knew it and I wasn't afraid of it. And so I worked hard and I lived my life working toward that. So, I mean, even to the point that I was learning to cook for myself when I was five years old, fighting with my mama about being able to cook my own breakfast before I went to school. <laughs> so yes, ma'am. All right. All right. Yeah. Love Independent. It. What was unique about your experiences as a Black woman professional at a PWI? Oh, God. <clears throat> Being a lot of times the only, because what you got to understand is in my position, a lot of times, I wasn't just the only woman in a room. I was sometimes the only Black and the only woman sitting at the table where major decisions were being made. It was, it was a lot of listening, a lot of processing, and a lot of making sure that I was going to answer for what I felt like I needed to in a way that was going to get what we needed. Does that make sense? Most definitely. <clears throat> so those were sometimes the hardest things that I that I had to deal with was just sitting at the table, listening and being able to articulate back what I needed to so that I could get what we needed. 
we definitely saw like the effects of that, the aftermath of that. Like, that's one thing I can say about you were absolutely graceful, even if you were under fire. I think now that we're professional women and we know what it's like to work in these systems and institutions, and it is almost like, why are we fighting against our self-interest? And most importantly, why are we not looking out for the best interests of our students, the young right. people that are part of these systems and institutions? Right. But you would come back to your office or we would see you on campus. And it was almost like there was not a stain on you, even if you were going <laughs> through that battle. And I think that is something to be learned. Sometimes I tell young educators, young teachers that I coach, like, don't let them know they got to you. You go in there and you fight the good fight and keep in mind that you're doing this for the students. You're not doing this for the self. You're not doing this for the ego, but never let them know that they got to you. <laughs> you know? That's right. And that's really hard sometimes. Yeah. And, and you really do have to realize you can always win a battle with a cool head a whole lot better than you can when you fall apart. Because mm -hmm. when you fall apart, you lose everything. But if you can keep it together, you can you can do really well. And that was the one thing that I learned early on is just to keep you cool. You know, even even if you don't get what you want, next time you may. But if you get the reputation of of, of that, then people use that against you. Mm. And you don't want that. Oh. All right. We're going to do one more question before we go to break okay. because we don't pay for Zoom. So it's a running look, left. it's a running joke on this podcast. We don't pay for Zoom. So the clock is ticking. And so we're going to ask one more question before break. How were you embraced by other Black women at USM? And how did those friendships or connections validate your purpose? Now, I'm going to be totally honest. Okay. <laughs> I'll just say, keep it real. When I first came to USM, I had a little bit of a struggle because I came in as the associate dean of students and people were not as embracing of that as perhaps I would have liked for them to be. Some people looked at me as having a certain salary and then saying, she can do that. She don't need no help. Um... You know what I mean? It was mm -hmm. like, and that was before getting to know me. It was like, you got this woman they bought on this campus to do this. Let her do it. She don't need us. They paying her enough. Let her do it. My point is, that's where we, we kind of part ways ourselves instead of supporting each other, instead of looking at the big picture. Sometimes we take on other people's attitude one is enough, so let them do it. We don't have to get involved in that. And it's really all of us should be involved. Mm. So, Ooh, well, Miss Ryder, the same thing is still happening. It took me a while to really um, get to know a lot of our African American women on campus, but they came around know, though, right? They did. They yeah. did. They really right. did. 
Yeah, because I, I would want to say that when we were around, um, so I got there in 99. When did you start at USM? Oh, I came in 87. Okay, so you you had been there for a while. So 12 yeah. years prior to that. So by the time I got there in 99, yeah. I saw people like Adina Green. Oh, yeah. I when Adina got, yeah, I when Adina the got we, there. We interviewed Adina. Uh -huh. And I remember your um your executive assistant, her name escapes me right now. Alfreda. Alfreda. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you would hit that phone. Alfreda, can you come in here for a second? Yes. Yeah, so I just remember her and I just felt like there was just such a sisterhood yeah. when yeah. I saw the three of you. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I don't remember too many other Black women as far as... um. Tracy's yeah. mom, she was in the psychology department. Dr. Wesley. Dr. Yeah. Wesley. Yeah. And that's all I remember but, on but, campus. But you got to remember, there were not a lot of Black women around. No. It just wasn't a lot. But, you know, there, there were a few, but we were scattered. We were scattered yeah. pretty, pretty far around. Right. You know, but, but me, I, I found them. <laughs> right, right. And I pulled them in. Mm-hmm. Yes, you did. I did. We're going to go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we're going to ask Ms. Verita a few more questions. Okay. Then we're going to do Gimme Five, where we okay. ask five random questions in five okay. minutes. And they're super Black, because we are they're, definitely they're a Black, black podcast. We are a Black-ass podcast. All right, so we'll be back with Verita Delane, y'all. Hold on. Okay. All right, so we're going to leave this meeting and come back. And then One day we're going to pay for on the phone with friends who is this mr lane this is rod gilbert i want to thank you for teaching me fundamentals of leadership and how to speak to power as well as wield power i want to thank you for being unapologetic in how you celebrated us as racialized black african-american children or young adults discovering themselves and learning about ourselves, as well as learning to adapt to the world around us. We love you. We thank you. Thanks for listening to On the Phone with Friends. If you'd like to leave us a voice message, head on over to our Anchor page at anchor.fm forward slash otpwfriends. And there is a little button that says message and you can leave us a voice message. Give us your feedback or just some thoughts, especially when you feel them real fresh after listening to an episode. And we'd love to play them back on the show. We appreciate all the support. Y'all are making us feel black ass famous, but definitely head over to anchor.fm forward slash OTPW friends and leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. I think it's so important for women to hear a conversation like this because yes. I think sometimes there is this narrative that black women, we just kind of, you know, naturally manifest and we have all of these skills and we come into the world just ready to take it on but there are no literally help. yeah there are literally trailblazers like people sometimes I wonder if people even realize the impact that they have like I've had <laughs> young teachers and students come back and I'm at Kroger doing my shopping and they're crying like you changed my life Miss Gaines <laughs> like I'm just like yeah. I just really just taught you and just fussed at you when I needed to and um 
you just never realize it's in those small moments mm -hmm. that we spend with each other where it could literally change the trajectory of our lives. Like I could think about the serious moments that we had with you, Ms. Verita, but I'm not going to lie. It was those moments when you were relaxed and casual with your blazer off and your office door closer. You would tell us, Clo close that door. <laughs> when you would tell us to close that door, I know that you were going to be 10 toes authentic with us. <laughs> right. And you would, and you would have your lunch and you would not skip a beat and you would still be eating and mm -hmm. talking with us. And you'd be like, hold on, let me call Alfreda in here. And you would, it was almost like you were in such command. It was, it was in those moments like that, that just reminds me it's in those small moments that you're able to make the greatest connection Yeah. because it's like, you never, you taught me that when you're orchestrating your dominion, like kind of operating in your power, you never skipped a beat. You never showed any anxiety, any stress to us. It was like you had complete command of yourself. I just have to ask, where does that come from? Or were mm -hmm. you just put or were you just putting on the front with us? <laughs> Way out here in the real world right now, Miss Verita. <laughs> and it's not nice. Them streets are hard. <laughs> it's hard in these it's education streets. <laughs> you know, I Natalie will tell you in my class, I always taught them how to relax, how to take mental vacations. You remember that, Natalie? I think remember I how I taught you guys how to, how to get up in the morning early and relax, do what you need to do so you can face the day and all the struggles that you had to deal with during the day. Remember how I told you sometimes I get up at five in the morning, have my coffee, read my paper, watch the news, then get ready to come to work. Mm -hmm. I think you have to mentally prepare for the day. Yeah. And I was good at that because you, I mean, my days were never the same. I never knew what I had to face. I mean, I get up and come to work. I may come to work planning to do this. And then by the time I get there, I'm called into a meeting that could change the trajectory of the whole day. So if, if I wasn't right on my feet, I would be a mess. So I had to learn how to deal with quick change. Yes. How to deal with things that were not going to be the way that I expected it to be. So yes, a lot of that was because I had mentally prepared myself to be okay with whatever was going on. So I had to face it. Mm -hmm. so it was either face it or shut down. And I wasn't going to shut down, so I had to face it. Ooh. That's a word and a great reminder. It is. Yeah. So you have to prepare yourself. You got to be ready. But to do that, you got to do some self-care. Mm-hmm. And and I knew, ladies, when it was time for me to take some time away, and I did it. Mm -hmm. You know, I pick up the phone and I call Dr. Paul and I say, look, I need a couple of days off. I'm gone. And he would say, okay, V, I'll see you when you get back. Because he always Shout taught out. me, okay, V, see you when you get back. Shout out to Dr. Joe Paul. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Who right. always seemed 
to be everywhere. <laughs> You're right, yeah. open world campus. And he's still everywhere now <laughs> as the interim president. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he and I had that kind of relationship and that's important that you've got that kind of relationship with your immediate supervisor yeah. who will support what you need mm. because he he knew and, and and here's the deal, he knew I worked hard, he knew I gave everything I had. So when I came to him and said, I need some time off, he wasn't going to fuss with that because he mm -hmm. knew I wasn't going to ask for it unless I needed it. Right. But mm. I knew when I needed it. So you have to know when you need it and don't apologize for it. Take it. Oh, Lord, that is a word. I'm going to say this right now because I have told everyone at my office about this podcast. If y'all are listening to it, this is a word, a rhema word <laughs> in due season. If I need the time, trust me, you will get the yeah. best version when I come back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to take it because if not, you're no good to anybody. Right. Mm. All right. Ooh. Nick, we could, we could, that could be a whole nother episode, Ms. Brown. Right. And it probably will be in the future. Just let you know <laughs> right. that right now. Yeah. Right. We might need you to come back. Yeah. Right. You got the next right. question. Okay. Um, let's see. So when did you realize the impact that you were making on Black students, on Black female students, and just students of color in general? Now, you realize I worked 10 years at another university before I came to Southern. Um, yeah, I worked at the University of West Alabama 10 years before I came to Southern Miss. Um, I worked in the um, admissions office, uh, recruiting at West Alabama, and director of housing. And then I came to Southern. So <clears throat> what I want to say is I realized the difference I was making when I could see student growth. When you can see student growth and success, you know you're making a difference. When you can see the first Black student body president be elected, you know you're making a difference. When you can see your first Black homecoming queen, those kind of things happen. But more importantly, when you can see students graduating, when you can see students being happy on campus and feeling like they belong and feeling like this is my university, you know you're making a difference because that's the goal. I mean, that's that's what it's about. Um, you want them to come in and you want you want them to feel like, hey, I got what I need right here. And you don't have to feel like you don't have to go to an HBCU to feel like this is my campus. Yeah. And that's when, you know, you created that environment uh, for our students to succeed. That is so on point. I actually received a scholarship to go to Alcorn and I did not want to go to school out there. I just remember people talking about that long road it going is. to Alcorn. And I grew up in a small town and I just didn't want that experience again it is not to say that Hattiesburg was this major metropolis but it was 60 miles from my hometown and I was still close to the coast I was still close to New Orleans and it just gave me an experience that I needed that you know I still have so much pride anytime I see a, a USM post Southern Miss to the top, you to the know, top. It's just like <laughs> we love USM like right. it was just an amazing experience yeah. it was just like the step shows and the political involvement like I talked to my students about the march that we went on in Kokomo Mississippi when that young man was lynched 
and Jesse Jackson was there, eh, but Emmett Till's mother was there wow. and she spoke to us. And wow. I just remember marching and we were afraid because we were just like, we didn't know what to expect. I remember seeing sheriff deputies and troopers standing right next to Klansmen as we're marching on this highway in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, but we knew why we were there. Yeah. And it's like, you all gave us the courage to go out into the world and basically take the torch and carry it forward in our generation. Mm -hmm. So to have so much poured into us and even the little things that are the big things like chicken night at the commons. And That's even right. if you stayed off campus, every black person that went to USM was in the commons and everybody sat together. It's like we took over. Like even some of the faculty members, the administrators would sometimes be there. And it was almost like what networking events right now are for black people. You That's saw right. sororities and fraternities sitting together and talking about events. You saw student leaders mixing in with other students and getting feedback. Yeah. Chicken night was more than just like every type of chicken and how you could cook it. Yeah. It was literally a night for every black person on campus to come. I never forgot Wednesday nights Yeah, because of that. Yeah. But it what y'all don't remember when I first came to USM, <laughs> I went to Bob Lowe and I said, Bob, I said, we want to do from something for Black History Month. And I said, we want to do you know, a night where we can do some soul food. And he said, well, write what you want. I said, we want to do some chitlins. And we want <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> he actually did it, y'all, when I first got there. Wow. So I, said, I said, but you know what? At, next year, we won't do that. And he said, no, we're going to do that no more. <laughs> but, <he did laughs> but I bet they really ate those did. chitlins. He did it. He really did. So my yeah. point is, we we had a campus, and, and I'm sure it still is, but we had a staff of people that were willing to try. So yeah. out of that came a lot of other things. Like, of course, you know, we started having the soul food luncheon, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we started having, you know, a lot of events that evolved out of just a thought process of let's change some things or let's add some things to what we're already doing. So, yeah. you know, hats off to those people who were in those positions, who were willing to give us the opportunity to try to, to bring some new things to campus. It was, it was absolutely affirming. And even to come back as an alumni and to go to the African-American brunch oh, yeah. during homecoming. Right. Yeah. Right. And to have all of those, you know, alumni that went to school there in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s to come back and talk about their experiences. Right. And we're all in the room together. Yeah, Just so right. much pride for my university. Just right. changed my life. Not even going to lie. I'm pretty sure it changed the lives of others. That's good. That's good. So a couple, well, one more question before we get into Gimme Five. Right. Okay. So our last question is, and you kind of talked about this as far as, you know, being away from your husband or both of you separated for 16 years by distance not in their marriage. by distance right <laughs> yeah distance. I think there's probably two questions two questions in this looking at where women are now that probably looked like a very revolutionary act as a married woman for your generation to be working and to be separated by distance from your husband and still raising children I want to know what was the thought process 
of that as a woman? And what were you and your husband's roles and responsibilities in those years in raising your children and holding down your family? First of all, um, he was very supportive, 100%. My husband was always the kind of husband that was like, you go get him. You know, and anything I can do to support you, you got it. You know, even like if I had to go out of town and he had to come home and keep the children, he did it. You know, like, so even though we were two hours apart, sometimes he would end up coming here and staying to keep them and literally driving two hours to work to come back. So um, our roles never really changed. He was always the dad. He was always supportive 100%. But we were fortunate because by him being a teacher, he was always home during holidays, during summers, because he was off during summers. Um, And then only being two and a half hours, not even two and a half hours apart, he was close enough to be here. So the children grew up with him at all of their events. Like he was at all, all the band concerts, at all of the whatever they participated in, they knew their daddy was going to drive two hours to be here for it. Um, But he was always supportive of me. The one thing I want to share with you, though, is we just married when I started working on my master's degree, and we had small children. He picked them up from the babysitter every night that I had night class, and he took care of them. He got their dinner. He made sure that they were ready for bed. He got their bath. And the last night that I had of of my class, when I got home, there were no babies. He had cooked dinner, bought me a dozen red roses, had candles all over the apartment and and said, I think I got my wife back. So that's the kind of husband that I have. We want to give him his flowers too. (laughs) We need to give him flowers. Are there any more of them? I want to give him some flowers. Yes, that is. Are they making any more of him? Yeah, but he has always been super supportive of all of my goals and everything I've done and never worried about me being at a distance. You know how some men would worry because he told somebody, he said, I'm married to a lady. You're married to a lady. You don't have to worry about where they go and what they do. So, no, it was never an issue with that. Yeah, really solid guy. That's what that sounds like. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and we're definitely not going to make this about complaining about the black men we have to choose from. Mm-hmm. But I think that's interesting when you look at how statistically black women have more education and tend to advance financially more than black right. men in these days. And so sometimes it, yeah. you know, in dating and relationships, it almost feels like, you know, there's a competition or a tension when you have right. a successful black woman or a woman who's on her path towards success. Right. And that could be a very intimidating thing, you know, in these dating streets. And right. so it's just so interesting to be a woman in college at that time and right. to be witness to a relationship yes. like that, we were always like, that is so different from what we saw growing up, but they're making it work. Right. 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 How was this possible? So it was just kind of like, noted. You know, right. it's like, right. noted. It's possible right. to have something different. Yeah. That was really dope to see. I'm not even going to lie. I'm not sure if you receive flack about that as a woman, but 
I thought it was super dope to see that because uh-huh. you gave us another view of what marriage and relationships and yes. family could look like. Yeah, yeah. But it took work, you know, and I, and I have to say it was a conscious effort on both of our parts to make it work. You know what I mean? It was like, mm-hmm. I couldn't forget to let him know what was going on with the kids because, you know, it's easy to let them get in trouble and me not tell him because Trey was a handful you know, never, so never would have thunk it. Well, yeah, <laughs> but if, if, he, if he would do things and, and I didn't tell him, you know, it, it wouldn't be fair for him not to know what was going on with them. Yeah. So it was, it was me making a, a conscious effort to keep him involved in the children and what was going on with them. Mm. So it was, it, you know, because he was their dad, whether he was here or not. So I, I was always wanting to make sure that we included him in everything because I didn't want him to feel like he wasn't included. Mm, so mm. I think that was one of the main reasons we were able to make it work. Well, we would like to transition into a segment that we call Gimme Five, where okay. we ask you five random questions that give us a peek into your Black life. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm so sorry. Okay, go for it. I'll let you choose. Okay, so you'll have five minutes. Okay. Answer you set the timer? Right. I'm going to set the timer. All right, hold on one second. Your time begins now. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay, Miss Ryder, what, where is the blackest city you've ever been to? Oh, Lord. Maybe Chicago? Yeah. Is Chicago a black city? <laughs> I would I, think so. <laughs> <laughs> I would think so. Atlanta? Ma- Atlanta. Atlanta. What did you like about Atlanta? That's where Natalie is. I guess it's a lot to do. Mm-hmm. It's busy. Mm-hmm. I just left Atlanta, Natalie, two weeks, not even two weeks ago. Oh, you slipping into the city and slipping, dipping out. She got I was her in, jet setting. I was in Alpharetta. Alpharetta? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely see you jet setting out here, Miss Verita. Yeah, but, I was there. Yeah, I like and, Atlanta. And you're in Colorado now, right? No, I'm in Hattiesburg. Because mm-hmm. it always seems like you're in Colorado. I just flew in, but I'm back in Hatt- in Hattiesburg. I flew Good in before last. Living her best life. I love yes, it. Yes. All right. Yes. Next question. Okay. What does your power suit look like? My power suit, black with black heels and a beige blouse. Come on now. And a beige flower. Yeah. You know me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And literally, that's why we asked you, because I'm telling you, you have that jacket, you have like some type of camisole, silky like shirt, and you have that skirt and those heels. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And my black pumps. That's it. Mm -hmm. And I can still wear pumps, Natalie. Okay. I have one pair that I take to the office. I put them on when I'm in there. (laughs) And then I take them off when I go to the parking deck. So yeah. Okay, gotcha. I love flip-flops and sneakers. I can't do heels, Miss Veronica. Gotcha. Next question. You got this one, Natalie. All right. What does every Black woman need? A Bible. Tell us why. Mm-hmm. Because it will serve as a guide to give you courage, to give you strength, to give you everything you need to take you through hard times. Mm-hmm. All right. Two more questions. Here we go. I feel naked or exposed without what? Oh, 
feel naked or exposed without? Hmm. Now that's a hard one. I feel naked without. I can't believe we stopped, Miss Variety. I'm going to say my <laughs> husband. Aww. Hmm. Yeah. Come on now. I do. Um, what stories or story do your friends always tell about you? And it can be an embarrassing story too. Or <laughs> my friends. <laughs> A story they always tell about you. Girl, my friends are so varied until I don't know if I even can think of. I'm not fun, so I can't think I find of. that hard to believe. I, I, I'm uh, not buying that. Do we have a pass where you do a bonus question? <laughs> right, I'm, I'm not buying that. Okay. How much time? Hold, we on, got? hold on, hold on, hold on. Well, I got to dig into this. <laughs> okay. And with the power of editing, I'll fix the time on this. You're not fun. Uh uh. What? Uh uh. You know, definition of you, fun. Know, you know how some people got a lot of fun stuff that their friends can talk about because they've mm -hmm. done crazy things? Uh uh. That's not enough for me. Not even in college. Have we even done crazy things? I was boring. Did you just ask me, Natalie? Have we done crazy things? <laughs> uh-huh. And I'm sure she forgot a few people. I believe you had the gumption to ask. <laughs> really? Oh my God. Next question. <laughs> All right. Well we, got, well, we got time for a few more questions. Maybe we can probably squeeze in two more. Okay, I like this one right here. If you could have a bottomless brunch with three historical, artistic, or musical figures, living or dead, in the culture, who would they be? Okay. I would really like to have a conversation with Marvin Gaye. Mm hmm because I'd really like to know what was going on in his mind when when what happened to him happened with his dad. I'd always like to know that. I've yeah. long wanted to know that. I would I would very much like to have a conversation with Dr. King because mm -hmm. I've I've always wanted to know where he got all of his thought processes from and and what made him who he who he was. Um, and I'd probably really like to talk to Donald Trump. At the same bottomless brunch? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely bottomless. There's no end to that. There, there has got to be a way that I could find out what makes this man tick. Mm. And I would really like to find out because looking and listening, I can't figure it out. But maybe if I could ask him. I could get some answers. Mm. Last question. What's the blackest thing in your purse right now? The blackest thing in my purse is me. Because <laughs> you in your bag, Ms. Wright. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying my driver's license. <laughs> and it is because I am a definite black woman. Good answer. I just <laughs> gotcha. Right. Let's give her a hand for that. She's That's not fun. Right. Mm -mm. right. That was That's our right. five. Now you That's, see. That's the blackest wow. thing in my purse. That's me. <laughs> Come on now. Now you see why we love and admire and adore Mrs. Verida Delane yes. to this day. To this day. 
day. <laughs> to the top. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my God. We have, you would have thought we were interviewing like heads of state right here. Right. I was just like, oh my so God, nervous. I cannot wait. Like I get a message <laughs> early this morning. Me and Natalie are using it in a work chat all day long on Google chat. And she was like, aren't you looking forward to Miss Bright? Like <laughs> this is every day. Like, oh my God, I cannot wait. Like, Oh my God, you have just meant so much to me. I'll speak for myself, but I know that you have meant so much to uh, me and Natalie and other esteemed alumni oh, yes. of the University of Southern Mississippi. And yeah. I will never forget you. You are a part of my own transformative narrative. And I just want to thank you so much for everything that you have done for me and others at USM or even adjacent to USM. You are absolutely amazing. And I just want you to know that. I co-signed those sentiments. You are a <laughs> treasure. <laughs> this Elaine. I just, it's just one of those things. It's like, I feel Hattiesburg to me is home. I do have some family roots on my mom's mom's side of the family there, which I didn't realize at first. I'm always drawn to Hattiesburg. When I think of Hattiesburg being home, you're one of those people I think of. It's like, you know, Southern Miss is home. Miss Delane is home. You know what I'm saying? It's just the whole experience. Um, I didn't know where I was going to go at first. And I kind of just ended up at Southern Miss. It wasn't the first place because I was being rebellious at one point. And I ended up at Southern Miss. And to me, that was divine. Yeah. And just, yeah. just being there, I was like, this is where I was supposed to be. You know, I, so many wonderful friendships, but you were one of the first faces when I first got there that set the tone that made me feel welcome, like I could be there. And so for me, it was like if anything was going on. I knew I could just run on over there to the building right. and go to Mr. Lane's office. Mm -hmm. So, right. you know, and when I transferred there, you were one of the first people, a Kim Caesar, who's from my hometown literally took me to your office. It was like, okay, now that you're here, you need to go over here and meet Miss Verita. Like literally like within the first few weeks of being there and getting adjusted, you were the person that we all had to come to. We had to come into your door. And I absolutely remember her bringing you to my office. <laughs> I did. I probably look so country. No, <laughs> but I was. I, I remember her bringing you to my office. I did. What is it like? This is probably our last mm. question, but now that I think about it, what is it like to hear this type of feedback? How do you receive this? What is what is that like? Because it definitely makes me uncomfortable when I get this type of feedback from people that I have mentored and coached throughout the years. It's it's unsettling for me, but not in a bad way, but it's just like, thank you. Okay. I didn't, you know, how do you receive this? Well, <clears throat> you know. Like I told you, it makes you feel like you accomplished what you set out to accomplish. You know what I mean? Like I went there to help students. In my interview from Joe Paul, he said to me, we have a growing minority student population that we want to have a successful growth with. That's what I want you to do. I want you to help those students be successful. So when you tell me I helped you be successful, I did my job. I, I did what I was asked to do, and I enjoyed every moment of it. So that's, 
that's how I feel. Hmm. And I know I did it because look at you, you sitting there all successful now. <laughs> and I look around at all of the students that lives I touched in just a little way who are just changing the world. And that's what you want to see. That's what you want to see. So those who remember and those who don't, I remember because I had some kind of way, you know, I touched you, you touched me, we touched each other in some kind of way. I just want to thank you again, Ms. Ryder. Well, thank you for the opportunity to say yeah. something back to you. Mm. And Miss Natalie. <laughs> who is still talking to this day to this okay. day you know they actually pay me to talk to her i tell you i tell you so starting this podcast with my talkingest friend has been an absolute joy but i would have never met her if it wasn't for usm and being a part of that leadership cohort that we were a part of while we were there and y'all, I hope you have gained something from this conversation with the Mrs. Verita Delane. And hopefully you can think about the mentors that have come into your life that are still in your life or maybe the mentors that you need in your life. And I pray for many more years that Ms. Verita Delane is still here with us so that she can see the next generation that will come from us and we impart all of those lessons that we got from her and other black leaders at the University of Southern Mississippi. Thank you again, Ms. Brida, for being on On the Phone with Friends. You are welcome and thank you for the opportunity. You all have a good night. All right, you too. Thank you, Ms. Verita. Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. I'm glad we didn't cry <laughs> again. again. <laughs> I know she was like, Lord, of these girls crawled. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. But I just want to throw in for those that are listening, look at yourselves and realize that you are also being a mentor to someone else, even if it's not intentional. There are people mm. that are watching you right now. So continue to be transparent, have that open door policy, and just be your authentic self because that's all they need. They yeah, need to know the talk. Right. And y'all know that I'm the riffraff of the show. And sometimes riff you got lovers. Look, sometimes you got lovers and haters. And one thing that I always say in my circle, sometimes you got to mentor these bitches. So oh. even if they don't seem like they're on board with you and who you are, they might be intimidated. But sometimes people that have jealousy and envy and hate in their heart, they are rejecting the part of themselves that they see in you. And don't ever forget that, sis. Yeah, you have to put that in. You got mental these bitches. Right, you want me to stop recording? Uh-uh, you keep on going. We got, we got four minutes of free love. We got four minutes of free and we gonna use it. Right, so we want you guys to follow us on all of our platforms at OTPW Friends, on the phone with friends on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. Yeah. And you can hear our podcast on Anchor. Yeah. Um, Apple mm. Podcasts. Yep. Uh, Come on. Spotify. Yep. Google. And we are coming for you, Amazon. Yep, yep, yep. We out here in these digital streets. So um, what you about to do? 
girl i'm about to go through this bounty of items i picked up at the farmer's market fancy girl i got two types of fancy goat cheese one is tomato love basil. your goat cheese one has got lemon in it i got some fancy nut snacks including these curry cashews you I know we love our curry cashews shout out to the decatur farmer's market mm -hmm, over there at the cab a good time i've got some gelato what flavor? Um, I, I, I'd have to go all the way over to the fridge to get it, but I know there's ribbons of something with caramel and some other things. Okay. You know, we're all about decadence. What you got to do? I'm gonna go play with my dog because I'm pretty sure people heard her tippity tapping throughout this episode. Them little paws. I gotta get her a grooming appointment because her nails, as y'all know, my dog has been in Mississippi for the last three months which is 21 months in dog years. We did, we did the math. We did the math. It was very difficult there for a second because I, I got two degrees in English and Natalie's got two degrees in psychology. So it's just, with our two brains combined, we figured out the math. And I got to get her a grouping appointment because I'm, I did you hear all of that tapping in the back? Look, she walking right now. I, that's why I had to put it on mute. I was like, if you don't go sit your ass down somewhere, I'm talking to Verita Delaney right now. So that's what I said when I put the microphone on mute. So I'm going to go spend some time with her because clearly she has missed me. Come here. Where you at? Look, she coming. Hey, that's come here. my god dog right there. Right. So I'm going to play with your god dog. I'm going to check in with my kiddo because she hasn't come downstairs. So we got to figure out dinner. So I told her, I said, it's make your own turkey burger night, <laughs> which Come means I'm man. not cooking. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I might go sit on my porch for a little bit. The sun is going down and it's nice and cool. So we're coming into those fall days here in Memphis. So that's what I'm about to do. So I really got to make that post. I'm going to work on some art and I'm going to put a post on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook because we want to know what you about to do. Let us know what you're about to do. And if you have a mentor or a friendship story that you would like for us to talk about, send us an email at otpwfriends at gmail.com. We're also a podcast with liner notes. So look for some wonderful uh, liner notes from this episode, and especially information about our wonderful, esteemed alumni, which is the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. To the top. the top, baby. <laughs> Southern Miss to the top, which is currently being led by the Dr. Joe Paul, whose name you heard a few times on this Everywhere. Call. Oh my God. Like, just such a great university. So if you have children um, that you want to go to school, definitely we're going to put our university out there. Or if you're looking for a job or you're looking for grad school, hey, we recommend USM because that's how much we love our university and how much it poured into us. So any final words, Maddie? Love you guys. Keep listening. We'll keep coming on here for you. Okay. Bye, y'all. Doo-doo-boop. You were supposed to do doo doo boop. All right. Can we open up this call one more time so we can close out? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to leave and come back.